think I will go with uh, Thessalonians rather than Corinthians, so that's good. Uh, it is great to have this opportunity to open this part of God's Word with you this morning. It's um, uh, our holiday series that we're working through this little letter. And I'm going to pray now that God would help us to get the encouragement that we need. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word preserved for us. We thank you for Paul's concern for this little church. And we thank you that we can hear it here today. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, cause this word to live, to live in our hearts as you challenge and change us to be more and more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, as we start off, a little bit of engagement. Uh, So I'm going to put a picture up. I'm going to ask, what would you expect? So, uh, for instance, if you went to the beach, what could you rely on being at the beach? Water and sand. Excellent. Fantastic. Water and sand. No problems. If you go to the sales, assuming that you don't click on a mouse to do this, but if you go to the sales, what do you know that you're going to get? You're going to get a, a bargain, right? You're going to get a bargain. That's fantastic. Uh, if you look at your lawn at the moment, what do you expect? <laughs> Anything that has a sad face emoji next to it, right? It's, uh, it's very, very sad and dead uh, when it comes to lawn. How about, how about Christians? What do you expect? If you're a Christian, what do you expect? Learning about God is a great answer. What else? Love. Yep. Praying, yeah. If you're a Christian, there are a whole variety of things that you might expect. I wonder if we did this for a little bit longer, whether we would come up with persecution. Hey, a bunch of Christians are here. What would you expect? Well, we would expect persecution. If you're here, kids, and you're going, what does that long word persecution mean? Jesus says it another way. He says trouble. In the passage here, it's also referred to as trials. It's the stuff that makes the road of your life lumpy and uncomfortable. It could be somebody making fun of you. It could be somebody excluding you. It could be somebody physically threatening you. Persecution in a variety of different forms is part of the Christian experience. I was just chatting with someone after the, uh, the 8.45 service this morning, and he said that uh, a former archbishop of, uh, of the Anglican Church had talked about the difference between persecution and petty persecution. And uh, I think that's helpful because right now in places like Nigeria, people are being chased from their houses. Their houses are being burnt. People are being killed for the name of Jesus. Um, our brothers uh, in China are being arrested. People like me, no longer able to lead their churches because they're in jail. Now that is persecution, undeniably, isn't it? And yet, being excluded from your friendship group, being looked down on and made fun of in your workplace is real. It does impact us. It's on a continuum. It's all persecution, but perhaps it's helpful to have a category of petty persecutions and the big stuff. However, persecution, that is part of the letter that we have here, and that's what the theme is that we're going to be exploring this morning. Now, kids, can anyone tell me what this is? Ethan has his hand up. Ethan, you are the only person in the whole place with your hand up. I'll go to you and then Phoebe. Ethan, what do you reckon it is? It's a robot android. Yeah, yeah, both of those things. (laughs) 
Amazing, Ethan. Now, Phoebe, what are we going to add? Mars Rover. Yes, excellent, fantastic. We're going to say yes. Um, now, uh, does anyone know what it's called? It's got a great name, Toby. It's not called Toby, no. It's called, it's called Curiosity. Isn't that a great name? Now, just to give you an idea, this, this thing weighs 900 kilos. It, it's probably from here to the vase over there. It is a big robot. It's nuclear powered. Did you know that? And what's it doing? Well, it's there seeking, as Ethan helpfully pointed out. Uh, it's seeking, seeking life. How, how far away is Mars? Well, I put it into Google this morning. Apparently, uh, as of this morning, uh, it's 316 million kilometres away. That, that's not very close to here, is it? Uh, and apparently, to get, to get there, the rover itself th- flew half a billion kilometres, because Earth and Mars kind of... Anyway, so half a billion kilometres, that's a long way, right? And th- why was it sent? It was sent to find signs of life. Now, I want to tell you today that Thessalonians, the letter, is a little bit like the, the Mars rover, okay? But what it is, Paul, who was in Athens down here in Greece, had planted the church up here in Thessalonica, but it had to leave. And what he's doing is he's sending Timothy to find signs of life in Thessalonica, to find out whether the church is still alive there. How far? Well, not, not the distance to Mars. It's, it's probably about 500 kilometres. But in the ancient world, that's actually a long way. And so here's Paul and Silas and Timothy in Athens. And Paul has said to Timothy, hey, young lad, off you go. I want you to go and find out about what's happening in Thessalonica. So we get to the text here. And, and as we get here, there's a really big idea in this first little section here. And it's to do with what you see up on the screen there, being joined together. This is a picture of one of our life groups. And, and they look like they're having a good time, don't they? Uh, they're having a good time together. They've been joined into something, not, not just being in the same place at the same time, but they've become something bigger around God's word and in prayer together. H- have a look at that fellowship here in, uh, in this first verse here. Uh, so we're reading in chapter 3 and verses 1 to 3. So when I could stand it no longer, this is Paul writing, so when I could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You see, Timothy was linked to Paul. They'd been joined together. How? Well, he speaks of them in two ways here, that the link between Paul and Timothy. Firstly, he calls him family. He says, you're my brother. Not, not just somebody who was uh, hanging out together, but Paul and Timothy had become family together. So they're family. And secondly, they had a, a common focus. He calls Timothy a co-worker in the job of spreading the gospel of Christ. And if you want to find real fellowship, that's what our church will be about. We'll become family as we give the message of new life. That's the co-worker part. And as we live new life for Jesus, that's the family part. So as we give and live the message, we'll be joined into something much bigger than we would otherwise be. So Timothy is this person who's been sent to Thessalonica. Now, if we have a little bit of a a history lesson, who's Timothy? Well, we see in Acts chapter 16, we meet Timothy. And it says here, Paul came to Derby. This is earlier. Paul came to a place called Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and, and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. 
The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, Jewish mum, who's become a believer, Greek dad, actually doesn't tell us that he's a believer either, so that's a really interesting situation, isn't it? And when Paul finds this young man, he goes, you are, you have a good reputation in the community, come and be my helper. And he became part of Paul's missionary band. And then he gets sent on this job. And Timothy was sent with two jobs, we can see here. He was sent with the job of strengthening the church and also encouraging it to strengthen and to encourage. They were the jobs that Timothy was given. Now, it's been a a terrible season in our life as a church. Uh, Thank you, Paul, for praying so helpfully um, uh, about our bushfires just recently. Uh, when it comes time, you see the alerts come up on your phone and it says, put in place your action plan, right? Your bushfire plan. We're supposed to prepare. And the idea of preparation is that you've thought about the imminent danger. That, that's a terrifying picture, isn't it, really? Right? So you've got this imminent danger bearing down on these houses here. And the idea is that you've already prepared. It's not that you go, ah, bushfire, about half a kilometre away. Maybe I should think about cleaning out the gutters. Right? Not going to work, is it? We, we need to have been prepared in advance for the imminent threat. Have a look at the way Paul talks about the imminent threat to the people here. We're in chapter, th- uh, chapter 3, verse 3. I'll just read from the start there. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. I think it's extraordinary. We're told that Paul and Timothy and Silas were in Thessalonica for three Sabbath days. Now, if you go for the shortest period of time, that would be two weeks, right? Saturday, week, Saturday, week, Saturday. That would be three Sabbath days. It might have been as long as five weeks, right? If you add the weeks on the other side, right? But it's a short period of time. And what he's saying is in the time he was there, he started a new church, Jesus is Lord. And he also told them while he was there in three weeks that they were destined for persecution. Now, if you gave me three weeks of preaching, right, to start a new church, what would I have got through? Well, there's Jesus, and then there's the kingdom of God, and then there's a bit. Would I have got to persecution? But Paul had in three Sabbath days. Quite extraordinary. And he says, you're destined for these things. And it turned out that way, he says. Well, why? Because the opponents of his message caused a riot in the town and were knocking on the door to have the guys passed out into the crowd to be beaten up. And so in the night, they slipped away. Yeah, yeah, persecution found them in Thessalonica really quickly. But if you're told you're destined for persecution, is that really true? Do we really believe that as a church? Well, let me give you four reasons why you should believe that. The first is that Jesus warned us that we would be persecuted. You remember the parable of the soils or the seed that fell on the different bits of ground? In that parable, Jesus says about the seed that falls on the rocky ground. He says, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Jesus was teaching right from the start that trouble and persecution would come. You don't warn people about a hypothetical danger, do you? 
It was real and it was coming. Secondly, Jesus encouraged them. In Matthew chapter 5, we're doing Matthew's gospel this term. I'm really excited about it. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You encouraged, church? Blessed are you, it says. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say things about you because of me. That is remarkable, isn't it? So Jesus warned them, Jesus encouraged them, and then Jesus called them. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, we listen to that, and you might be thinking, I take up my cross every day, right? But if you take up one of these, Jesus says, come follow me, pick one of these up and follow me. Do you know what happened to everyone who picked up one of these? They died. So when we follow Jesus, he says, come follow me, take up your cross and come follow me. What did we expect if we were to follow the cross-carrying Savior? We were warned, we were encouraged, we were called, and later we were assured. In John 16, 33, Jesus says this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, how good is this, I have overcome the world. You will have trouble, but I'm the victor. I win in the end. I will triumph. And so should we expect persecution? Well, yes, they knew it. And now we know it. So what did Paul do? Well, knowing that trouble and persecution was coming, Paul sent Timothy to them. Now, uh, has anyone done this crazy thing? A couple of you have. Well, wow. Really? Amazing. There are a couple of faces this morning where I went, really? But apparently they have. When you jump out of the plane, apparently, I would never do it, but if you jump out of the plane, people will tell you, now, man, that is really living, right? My heart's pumping. I'm really living, right? Now, I think that's because you're facing the fact that you weren't going to be living very soon. I think that's, I think that's what's going on. But, but for some of us, different demographics in the service today, um, this, this can be really living, Right? Finding a, a shopping centre where you're fully clothed but it's hot enough and mum lets you run in the... That, that can be really living. Or maybe you're a little bit older and really living is getting your bike off airborne. You know, that, that's this idea of really living, right? And, and really stocking up on band-aids and various other bits and pieces as well, right? So but have a look here what Paul says really living is. Have a look with me at verse 6, six to 10. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, isn't that nice? And that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Isn't this brilliant? Uh, Timothy had brought a personal report from Thessalonica. He'd gone and seen the church. They're alive. There are signs of life in Thessalonica, right? First thing. A a personal report had come back. And Paul's response, I think he was so beautiful. He says, now we really live. Paul is so much more than a church planter. Have you heard this turn of phrase, church planter? Someone who starts a church fresh. It could be that they just go, cool, I planted my church, Thessalonicans, well done. I'm out of here. I've got the rest of the world to go and save, right? Never look back. But that isn't how 
Paul did it. He says, night and day I've been praying for you, my precious little pot plant, right? I'm hoping that God is watering you and sustaining you and that you're growing strong and healthy. And so I think Paul's far more a pastor than just a planter. That's a beautiful picture of his heart. And then thirdly, we see that he longs to return. Night and day we pray that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Can you see his beautiful concern? Not just to get them started, but to see them mature and grow. And I want to ask us, church, there's all sorts of ways that you can feel like you really live. But what about if we said, I delight in encouraging, building up, and establishing someone else's faith? Isn't that amazing? Paul's joy isn't in a a personal experience himself. Woo, I jumped out of a plane. It's no, 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 I really live when I see you standing firm. Can you see his other person-centeredness there? His delight is in their success in following Jesus. Now, is anyone a holiday planner here? Does anyone like planning holidays? Wow, the rest of you are just all spontaneous. Is that what I'm hearing? Okay, all right. Well, this is about anticipation. I like the holiday planners because you can enjoy the holiday twice, right? You can enjoy it in expectation, and then you can go on the holiday and go, it's amazing, right? But, but maybe anticipation, kids, looks a little bit more like this, right? Maybe that's anticipation. I can't wait to... I mean... I can't wait to get to morning tea. It'll look exactly like this. Is that right, kids? Well, but ha- have a look at the anticipation here. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus make clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You see, there's a wonderful anticipation here. Paul is still dreaming. He's still dreaming of getting back to the Thessalonians. He's still praying for them that they might stand firm. And he's asking that God might make them deep in fellowship and rich in holiness. Why? Because he's looking forward in anticipation to the day when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns with all his holy ones and he relieves you of duty and says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. He's anticipating a day of rest from trial and persecution. And he's praying that they'll be sustained. Do you look forward to that day? Do you look forward to a day when there's no threat of bushfires? When there is no more death and disease and sickness and relational breakdown? And kids home from school. I mean, uh, and all sorts of things, great things. Do we look forward to that day? Paul did. And he was praying for the Thessalonians to be ready. So how might we respond? Three things that we can do in response. Firstly, can you read this sign? It's up on the screen there. But here it says, warning, deep holes, dangerous current, slippery rocks. Now, if you're a child, what do you think about this sign? Yeah, you you go, wow, that sounds really interesting, right? What's the sign intended to say? Keep away. At least if you go that way, you'll be ready for the dangers ahead. Is that right? And so here's the thing. It would be a mistake if you've heard this message this morning. It would be a mistake to expect that the Christian life will be easy. Some TV shows you could watch might tell you God has a beautiful plan for you and never mention that you're destined for persecution. God does have a beautiful plan for you that may include hardship and trial. 
And so I want you to know it would be a mistake to expect life to be easy. Secondly, this is a picture of our Christmas Day lunch. How wonderful a blessing was that, right? We might, we might ask God to deepen our love for one another. There was such a beautiful fellowship here between Paul and Timothy, between the Thessalonians and Paul, between them and one another. And Paul's praise, praise that their love may deepen more and more. Church, I would love us to know each other better than a cup of tea. Because over a cup of tea, I'm going to ask you how your holidays have been. And have you seen the fires and hasn't it been hot, right? Three conversations, that's free of charge. You'll have a great morning tea. It'll be brilliant. But we don't get to this stuff. And so we want to pray, God, might you deepen our love for one another? Might we truly be family together? And what I'd encourage you to do today, we're putting together our life groups at the moment. And they're a forum where you can know each other more than a morning tea chat. If you'd like to be involved in a life group this year, we would love to hear from you. We're doing it right now at the moment. Can I encourage you to put your name down and say, I'd like to be involved in a life group. We'll work with you and we'll find a time that will work, okay? But we'd love you to deepen your love with those around you. And thirdly and lastly, on holidays, we went to Copacabana Beach, isn't it beautiful? And I don't mind body surfing when the water isn't freezing cold. It was freezing cold. But when I'm in the water, right, and the waves are coming... You brace yourself for the wave to come, right? And you lean into it and the wave will break over you and you can stand firm. Then there are those people, you know, who get distracted in the surf and they turn their back to the waves and like, oh, no, don't hit your brother that way or whatever they're saying, right? And they've got their back to the wave. And what happens if you're not paying attention to the wave when it comes? You get smashed and then you get turned in the washing machine, right? And so here's the thing, church. I don't want you to be in the washing machine when the inevitable persecution comes. Okay? I want you to be standing towards it. I want you to have your feet well established. We must stand firm as the day draws near. You and I standing firm, looking out for one another. And if you see a brother or sister who has their back turned to the waves, guess what you should do? Tell them the wave's coming. Tell them to brace themselves. Look out for one another that together we might stand firm. We might stand firm. See, this year... We have a year where Jesus is calling us to follow him. We have a year that's going to be focused on growing and maturing apprentices to Jesus. And I want to encourage you, join a Jesus apprenticeship so that you might have your faith strengthened and your hearts encouraged. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you're a good and gracious God. You have warned us that persecution will come. You have assured us that you've overcome the world. And now you ask us to be a family focused on making the good news known. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, kids, you did remarkably well. Well done.